There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. I have an important question to ask you. The higher self, the Buddha nature, or the conscience, are these three terms speaking of the same thing, or is there a very critical difference? Let's delve into this subject because it's going to distinguish the uniqueness of Christianity as opposed to New Age spirituality, the New Thought movement, Buddhism, and many other expressions of religion in the world as opposed to the biblical point of view. Now, the higher self is something spoken of in Hinduism. It is taught that the Atman, the individual soul, is already one with Brahman, which is the oversoul, ultimate reality, the impersonal force or level of consciousness that is the source of the entire universe. And so the individual human being is already one with God. And on an ultimate level, of course, Hinduism teaches that we are God. So the problem is not separation from God as taught in Christianity. The problem instead is ignorance, ignorance of the divine nature that we all possess and that we need to awaken within ourselves. So the goal of life is to become consciously aware that you are divine, and to live according to higher principles and a more godlike character. So that would be referred to as the higher self, getting out of the entrapment of the five senses and living according to the spark of divinity that is already within you. In a similar way, New Age spirituality teaches that every person has this innate divine nature and that to achieve peace and fulfillment and purpose, we must relate to that higher self and function on that level, a level of love and forgiveness and humility and kindness and compassion and so many other positive and praiseworthy human attributes. Many call this the conscious life or conscious living, and that's a teaching of New Age spirituality. Now, in Buddhism, you have a little bit different phraseology. The Buddha nature is often described as the sun behind the clouds. The sun is always there shining, even if you can't see it, but when the visual obstruction disappears, the rays of the sun come through. And in like manner, the teaching in Buddhism is that there is a Buddha nature within every human being, and you must remove the cloudy obstruction of the nature that is egocentric, the nature of desire, the nature that is 
bound to suffering. You must learn to detach yourself from those things and let the Buddha nature shine through. That is already there. You have the potential of becoming a Buddha. In Buddhism, everyone does. But in the New Thought movement, you have different terminology, yet it's really talking about the same thing. There are a lot of representative groups I could mention, but I'll focus on the United Church of Religious Science. Dr. Ernest Holmes, the founder of that group, taught that Christ is the reality of every man, his true inner self. Christ is the universal idea, the higher self. Christ is the embodiment of divine sonship, which has come with varying degrees of power to all people. Christ is a universal presence. There is no one particular man predestined to become the Christ. We must understand that Christ is not a person, but a principle. As the human gives way to the divine in all people, they may become the Christ. Now that's new thought teaching, which uses biblical terminology, Christian terminology in order to prove a new age or what really stems from Far Eastern point of view. Now, how does that differ from biblical Christianity? Well, according to the Bible, we are not one with God until we come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when a person is born again, According to Ezekiel 36, 26, we receive a new spirit and God puts his spirit within us. And then we are one in a differentiated kind of way. Now, Hinduism teaches undifferentiated oneness. When you say, I am one with God in Hinduism, that means you're saying, I am God. But within Christianity, it means a mingling of your spirit, a merging of your heart with God's heart. And so there is a difference of interpretation. Because we are separate from God until the experience of being born again, Christianity does not teach a quote-unquote higher self that needs to be awakened but is clouded because of spiritual ignorance. The only thing that is a redeemable factor in human beings is something called the conscience. The conscience is the guard dog of the soul that's preventing us from complete depravity. The conscience is a gift to fallen mankind. It is not a spark of divinity within every human being. It is not an indication of the indwelling presence of the oversoul or the indwelling presence of God within every human being. It is a gift from God, but it is not indicative of the presence of God. This is a very important distinction because the conscience is that inward sense of what is morally right and morally wrong, and it carries with it the desire to do what is morally right. It is a function of the spirit. Man is a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. Each one of those is triune in nature. The body is made up of flesh, bones, and blood. The soul is made up of mind, will, and emotions. The spirit has three functions, and that is, number one, communion with God, Number two, revelation from God. And number three, conscience. However, prior to salvation, prior to being born again, 
we are dead in trespasses and sins. And so the conscience, relatively speaking, is dead compared to the former estate of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they were fully alive to the presence of God. Now, it doesn't mean we are 100% dead. When the Bible says we are dead in trespasses and sins, that's what I call biblical hyperbole, intentional exaggeration. Because if we were completely dead in our spirits, there would be no false religion in the world. No one would be striving for higher ideals. No one would be trying to live a more beautiful life. We would all plunge into the depth of depravity irretrievably. And so it's speaking relatively that we are dead compared to the original state. The communion with God aspect of the spirit is cut off. No one can commune with God in an unsaved state effectively. And revelation from God is cut off unless God chooses to break through the veil and reveal himself to someone in some radical way. No one can use any esoteric method in order to receive revelation from God. That's There's a wall there. It's an impassable gulf between God and man. But the conscience is a barely burning ember where there used to be a raging fire. The conscience is still barely functional in human beings. Now, you only find the word conscience in the New Testament, and it's from the Greek word sunaidesis, which means to see completely. What a beautiful essence of meaning, because when the conscience is completely awakened, it allows a human being to see completely what pleases God and what does not please him. The first mention of the conscience is in John chapter 8, verse 9. It's the story of the adulterous woman that was thrown at the feet of Jesus. He knelt down next to her. He rode in the ground. He looked up to the angry crowds, seething with judgmental attitudes. And he said, whosoever is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And they turned away from the eldest to the youngest, being convicted of their own conscience, the Bible said, being convicted. That means they felt this inward divine reproof. Their consciences were quickened by the word of God as it flowed out of the mouth of Jesus. And that's usually the primary convicting element that awakens conscience in human beings, the proclamation of the word of God. People who are totally hardened against the things of God, if they're in the presence of the anointed word of God being spoken, it can break through that shell and allow their heart to be softened. Thank God for the conscience. There are stages of the conscience as revealed in scripture. In Titus 1.15, it talks about how to the pure, all things are pure, but unto those who are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, for even their own mind and conscience is defiled. See, we are born into this world with a defiled conscience. We come into this world in a fallen state. We inherit the status from our foreparents. And so the conscience in an unsaved person is not dependable. It's not trustworthy. It does not function on the level God intended it to function on. Then Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22 talks about an evil conscience. 
and how our hearts need to be sprinkled from an evil conscience if we're to be pleasing to God. Then 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 talks about a seared conscience, which is a very troubling thing to think that a person can get to that point. I had a friend who accidentally stuck his arms down in a bin full of boiling oil, and it seared his arms so that all the nerve endings were non-functional in his arm. You could prick him with a pin, and he wouldn't even feel any pain. It was a horrid accident, terrible thing. But that's what a seared conscience is like. God's word can prick your mind, prick your heart with the truth, and you're oblivious. How does a person get a seared conscience? By sinning repeatedly over and over again and ignoring this inward cry of the Spirit that says, that's wrong, don't do that, don't go that direction. And the more a person ignores it and pushes off that influence, the more they're given over to the lower nature and the conscience is on the verge of being seared. Thank God for the God who can resurrect a conscience that's even gone that far. Then the Bible talks about a cleansed conscience in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. And it talks about how the blood of Jesus purges or cleanses our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the conscience is God's servant. It serves God's purpose in us by making us sensitive to what he is pleased or displeased with. It's not the presence of God. It is an inner instinctive feeling, a sensation of what is in alignment with the mind of God. See, that's the huge difference between what a Hindu would call the higher self, what a New Ager would call the Christ principle, and what the Bible calls the conscience is not the presence or the essence of divinity within you. However, it is a gift from God. A cleansed conscience happens the moment that you're saved. No wonder before you're saved, you can get by with all kinds of radically wrong behavior. And then once you truly are born again, suddenly things that never bothered you before bother you immensely. Or maybe you could rattle on talking about people without any twinge of guilt prior to coming to the Lord Jesus. But then after you get saved, if you say one bad thing about someone, you've got to apologize about it. If you're really living according to your conscience anyway. Then the Bible talks about having a conscience void of offense. I love the way the Bible words it in Acts chapter 24, verse 16. Paul said, I exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense toward men and toward God. If you exercise, you push yourself to the limits. When you do, fat cells burn off. Can I hear a hallelujah somewhere? And muscle cells burn off. Now, the good news is the muscle cells grow back and they grow back stronger. The fat cells, however, will not come back unless you put them in your body again by the wrong kind of diet. So how does that relate to exercising yourself to have a conscience void of offense? Because when you push yourself to the limit to listen to that inner voice, which is not the voice of God, 
See, there's three voices that you're listening to other than the voice of God. The voice of the flesh is the voice of passion. The voice of the soul is the voice of reason rooted in the intellect. But the voice of the spirit is conscience. And if you listen to your conscience and push yourself to your maximum level of effort to fulfill what the conscience tells you to do, then you're exercising yourself to have a conscience void of offense. And then you can go on to having a good conscience, Hebrews 13, 18, and all things willing to live honestly. And according to 1 Timothy 3, 9, you can hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. So there is a difference. There's a huge difference between the higher self spoken of in Hinduism and New Age spirituality, the Buddha nature spoken of in Buddhism, the Christ principle talked about in the New Thought Movement, and biblical Christianity that refers to the conscience. All these other viewpoints are rooted in an actual inner influence that they misrepresent or misinterpret. It's not the nature of God within you, but it is an instinctive sensation toward doing that which is pleasing to God. Thank God for the conscience. Pray God will fan the flame within you and pray that he will allow you to walk in obedience to that inner influence all the days of your life. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.